You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode two of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show where we look at the creators of Star Trek's work outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. So this is our first proper episode, and in in this episode we are going to take a look at, uh, it's going to be the first in our our Gene Roddenberry series, um, where we look at, at his work as a television creator. For today's episode, we're going to give you a little introduction by to Roddenberry by uh, looking at his work on Star Trek, which is kind of weird because essentially Star Trek is Gene Roddenberry's work. Yes. Okay, Roddenberry, you know, created Star Trek obviously very famously. He did uh, a pilot called The Cage, which starred, I believe, Jeffrey Hunter as, you know, Captain Christopher Pike, and um, it was rejected by the studio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not a particularly complicated episode. It's more the tone and sort of the, uh, the, the, the dramatic structure of the show that's very instructive. You, you, you understand what this show could be based on that episode. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting new take on things, and it's, a, it's sort of a refocusing of, of priorities. And that refocusing of priorities influenced a lot of TV afterwards. Like there are, there's a huge, like a giant, you know, swath of shows that followed up on that very basic idea of, you know, essentially establishing the that location that is mobile and uh, taking the, you know, the the, the people from place to place um, for various uh, nefarious and un- unfortunate events. Well, here's a question: Do do you think that uh, Captain Pike? is really any different from Captain Kirk? Like, could they have easily changed the name of Captain Pike to Captain Kirk and had that be the first episode of the show? More or less, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, over the span of, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the difficult, you know, aspect of the whole thing. I mean, uh, this is going back so far that the alternate universe version of things is kind of impossible to see. I mean, to me, it, it seems like uh, basically the first draft on, on this concept. I mean, like, I, I could see them basically doing all of the shows that they do on the original series with Pike had it gotten picked up. But, you know since it had been rejected, it basically gave them a chance to um, reevaluate some of the uh, elements which may not have worked as, as well or, or like they had hoped they would and, um, you know, alter them slightly. I mean, like, in this one, he has a relationship with his doctor, but yeah. it's more of a... He's, 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 the, he's the wise old friend... He's the Obi Wan, right. and 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 you know when they redid it and put in you know bones instead, it, they made it more of like a them being on the same level in a sense. Yeah. So you know, mo- moving on to you know where no man has gone before, y- you said that you you enjoy that episode as well, correct? 
Yeah, if you're going to establish a show, it, it actually makes sense to kind of do, use like the first three episodes to establish the type of show it is by showing the full range. How do you feel uh, the changes that they made stack up to you know how they originally were in the cage? Are there any elements which you wish they would have kept? That is... I don't even know how I would possibly answer that question. I don't know how I could even investigate that that thought. It's it it's virtually it's virtually impossible for me to to imagine um, Spock smiling. <laughs> yeah, and getting angry, like it's just bizarre. I mean that me. that's a change which I think they made for the better, you know. But like, what, what about some of the the more, I guess, on the nose ones like. Uh, the idea of like a female first officer, um, or the doctor, the change in the doctor. I guess that that'd be the two big ones. Um, female first. I mean, the, the fact is that first officer. I didn't didn't seem all that odd. I mean, like you know, I don't even think I I realized that that was a um, that there there might have been a political angle to that. I didn't that didn't even occur to me until much later. Well, well, I'm just saying, like, well, I'm. She she doesn't have a name. Number one, right? Yeah. Would you have preferred? Because I mean, it it does offer an interesting dynamic, um, which is kind of lacking in the the original series. Would you have preferred them to say, keep the first officer as number one, and then keep Spock as the science officer? I mean, it would change the entire dynamic of the show because now you have, uh, essentially, it would kind of push Spock off to the side a bit. But the way that they had originally portrayed number one was almost Spock-like in nature. She's very cold and logical. And, you know, I think that was the idea. I think they still had that plan for the the Trinity, you know, of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy as it stands now. Ego, super ego, it. Right. And they were going to do the same thing with, um, you know, the, the cast of the cage, only instead of it being Spock, it would be number one, and then the doctor, you know, still basically fulfills that role. Yeah. It's, it, there, there's not that much to say. I mean, the, the changes that were made, you know, were made for a lot of different reasons, and I don't know exactly why the changes were made. I think a lot of them are, were just basically studio mandated. Right. You know, it was a very progressive show. You yes. Know, it had lots and lots of ideas, which people weren't really dealing with, you know? I mean, like, we're going to be talking about the lieutenant on the next episode and, you know, the fact that it, it got canceled basically because of the Vietnam War. You know, any time it, it, it began to, as soon as it began to touch on, on something which was very, very relevant Vietnam to the time. Vietnam War needed that time slot. Right. And, and as soon as it, that show started to touch on something which was relevant to the time, it got yanked. Mm-hmm. Whereas science fiction... Obviously, and this is something which has been talked about, you know, for way, way too much, I guess, but we can cover it anyway. It allows you to uh, to deal with those issues that you want to deal with. And it's like Roddenberry, he is like an idealist. You know, that seems to me, it, it makes sense that Roddenberry would get into science fiction because it it allowed him to do all the stuff that he was trying to do on shows like The Lieutenant. It's, it's generally understood that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's the curse. It's essentially the curse of the entire, the entire world of, of, of like fantasy and science fiction literature and you know, television and film. 
It's a, it's it's an amazing license. It's an amazing tool to wield, and it's also a gigantic freaking burden, because when you're when you're when you, when you choose that gauntlet, you know it gives you a lot of power, but you're walking around wearing this ridiculous gauntlet. And everybody's gonna be like, "You're you look ridiculous with that gauntlet on your hand." And you go, "Yeah, but I can crush people's tracheas from like ten feet away." And they're like, "Yeah, but you look stupid." Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's true. Yeah, but the original series, I thought before they realized that the gauntlet wasn't necessarily a burden. Like in some in some ways, the gauntlet is why people tuned in. You know, the original mm-hmm. series tended to keep things sort of in check. And the other thing that it did was. It was it was really progressive, as far as like form was concerned. Yeah, you know, like the the way that those shows were directed, the way that those shows were written, in a sense, like structurally and everything like that. You know, they were really you know kind of uh, thinking outside of the box, which is actually very strange, because in in a, in a really weird way, their thinking outside of the box was to think inside the box by essentially looking at it like a regular show. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like there, there are a lot of shows where, where people are, are on, uh, on, on like a boat or in a submarine, you know, let's just do the exact same thing. Yeah. And that's the secret. The secret is to not do something weird. Right. It's to treat it as something normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we'll, we can talk about this in a minute, but I, I wonder how much of that has to do with uh, Next Generation. I wonder if Next Generation, essentially, if that caused science fiction shows to regress to this place that we think of them as being in naturally now. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it's it's a it's sort of an unavoidable consequence of of ludicrously humongous success that success allows you to build a really amazing cage and you know it's covered in like gold and you know mullions or whatever those are and you know people go like that's an amazing cage and you go yeah it is it's really awesome i don't know how to get out of this mm-hmm. i didn't think to build the door well well as long as we're, we're looking at next generation now and that i mean we can talk about how that was another show which was created by roddenberry himself and how um for all of the similarities to the original series there are a huge number of differences, or at least the the few differences that there are, are huge. Yes. And I can't remember where we were talking about this, and, and or whether this is you know something which everyone thinks, or whether we came up with this or whatever. It's driving me crazy. I've been trying to think about this forever. But if you look at it, it's very very clear that the original series and Captain Kirk in particular is Gene Roddenberry as a young man, and Captain Picard is mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry as an old man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't think that we came up with that. Someone else did. Whoever did was a genius. Whatever. Next Generation really is sort of, like, representative of where Gene Roddenberry was in his life at that time. You know, it's really interesting to look at those two series in relation to this guy, this guy's life. Next Generation is, is much calmer, it's not about, you know, adventure and excitement and all of this stuff. It's about discovery. 
Okay, well, b- before we get more into the next generation era, let's let's take a look at uh, you know what what led up to it. You know, in a sense, at least from a Roddenberry angle, a- after the original series was canceled, um, he-, he had tried to do a number of television shows, none of which took off. And really, the only other show that he did not he, not it happened before it was canceled. <laughs> well, that too, yeah. <laughs> but but um, he, you know, the the only show like in the seventies, which he actually which actually which he created, which actually went to series, is Star Trek, the animated series. Yep. Now, to me, conceptually, and the way that, like, the people involved talk about it, and the way, like, if you look at, like, critical reaction to it at the time, like, if you were to just read those things and not watch the show, like, let's say that the show was lost, like, like it was like Doctor Who, where all the episodes were destroyed and, and, and no one could ever see them again. If people were to just talk about this show and say, like, these are the people who were involved, you know, you had the original cast reprising their roles, you had, like, uh, most of the writing staff coming back and, 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 and writing new episodes and reading the reviews uh, saying, like, this is not, you know, children's television. This is something which is, you know, uh, for adults who want, you know, challenging stories and stuff like that. You would think that this show was amazing. Yes, I, yeah. On paper, it seems like a great idea, and uh, and you know the fact is that is that if as deep as your investigation is, you know, like until you watch it, it all it's all positive. Yeah, uh, and because like you know like even the scripts on paper are not bad. Right. And then you know you're watching it and you're like, oh, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> Look at the way these pieces spin apart. Yeah, that's amazing. It just happens so fast. I mean, at some, it, 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 and on some level, now, now I know, like, just getting into sort of like conceptually what this meant for Roddenberry, at least as is portrayed in the the behind the scenes history of it. You know, this was a chance for him to go back to Star Trek and tell new stories that he hadn't told on the original series. And in some ways, um, do stories which he couldn't tell on the original series because there were no restrictions in terms of, you know, budget mm-hmm. for like special effects and stuff like that. And you can totally see them doing that, like some new alien creatures which you know have like a third arm or whatever. And I think the problem with it is when you put that into this world which has already been established, it looks like a cartoon. Well, it, it it does look like a cartoon. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure exactly where that comes from. It might be the animated aspect of the show, but even even more so than that. No, I I agree. Again, on paper, it makes absolute sense. Just like the the uh, CGI capabilities that George Lucas had in, for to to make the prequels makes perfect sense. But here's here's actually here's actually the part where that example is way better than you might intend because while while you know he you know George Lucas created the ability to have you know a fully CGI character as part of the main cast he made a bipedal mm-hmm. humanoid yeah who was basically the same size as a regular person right i mean more or less just a dude in a mask yeah and begs the question why bother doing it right and then you go actually there's an alien with three arms. 
why didn't they do everything like that? Yeah. Why isn't why isn't Captain Kirk more cartoony? Why didn't they do this in a way that would make sense for the series rather than change things for the sake of being more creative and not change the things for the sake of making the show work better? But but it also you know kind of signals the first time in in which you know Roddenberry after having you know failure after failure getting you know shows off the ground decided to essentially go back to the the tried and true well of Star Trek. You know, it, there seems to be, whether um, whether by choice or not, you know, this, this constant refrain in Roddenberry's career where he tries to do something new, gets rejected, and then he's like, well, I could do another Star Trek series, and everyone's like, okay, let's do that then. If he couldn't get work doing something else, he kind of knew that he always had Star Trek to fall back on, and that's kind of what he always did. At least that's how it appears, just sort of looking at his filmography. So, you know, talking about that, you know, we obviously, um, very famously again, he was intending to relaunch Star Trek as a live-action series in the late 70s as Star Trek Phase Two, And sets had been made, scripts had been written, roles had been cast, and then Star Wars came out. And the studio decided that instead of doing a weekly television series, you know, they should cash in on on that uh, big screen dollar and uh, make make Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah. But it is interesting from a Roddenberry aspect because it's the only movie which he was heavily involved with and it's also essentially a version of the pilot for what Phase 2 was going to be. You can tell from that script, or from that movie, mm-hmm. that the script was only meant to be like an hour and a half, and they stretched it out into two and a half hours, and it's like, ugh. What do you think about Star Trek, the motion picture? I don't, I don't particularly like watching the motion picture, but if somebody asks me, you know, hey, uh, is that is that good? I'd be like, K- kinda. Don't expect it to be exciting, um, but there's good ideas in there. It's interesting. There are there are good ideas in there. Um, I think on the whole, it it's problematic. I mean, you know, like like I said, you know, in the last episode, the first time that I saw it, it was the very first Star Trek I had ever seen. The first time I saw it, I was bored to tears. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was young and was you know looking at star trek because of my love for star wars and star trek the motion picture is not star wars at all yeah. you know it, it is it is something which deals with you know very very uh sort of heavy and and uh abstract issues and not in an adventure setting there are aspects of that of that movie that like you know when when you're not watching it you know like when you reflect back on it like you you have to say that's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I think I actually went ahead and did that in a movie. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, any movie ever. The idea that, like, you know, it's an established, you know, franchise that they're trying to start, like, a movie series on. And then, I mean, like, it's all just really, you know, impressive that they were, you know, crazy enough to do, you know, more or less, you know, a, a feature film about, you know, ideas. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you have people talking about how this thing is possible. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's amazing to me. It's very, it's, it's almost so like literary 
that it's that it's amazing that they were actually people who made movies and TV shows. Yeah. It seems like the kind of thing that you really only do in books. Yeah. Uh, but it happened in uh, in Hollywood. It's impressive. And in some ways, I see this as being almost like what Roddenberry, had he been left to his own devices, would have made the original series. You know, I mean, I, I get the impression that, I mean, like going back to, you know, the differences between the cage and where no man has gone before and the idea of, you know, the network giving him notes saying that it was too cerebral and needed more action and the fact that you had that network, you know, hanging over his head the entire time. Like, if Roddenberry... That's were, where he got the idea. Like, if, if Keep he... Keep a close eye on the creatives, make sure they don't stray too far from your plan. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. For, I, I, in, that, in that way, I think it's interesting. I, I, as far as, you know, how it is as a movie, I guess I'm not that tremendously impressed with it. I, I, I like it on on a conceptual level, but I think it kind of falls apart in practicality. Um, I, now, I mean, one of the things which I've said before is that I, I do enjoy every Star Trek movie. I can sit down and watch any of them, but there are obviously varying degrees of quality. And I think as far as that's concerned, motion picture comes somewhere near the bottom. But um, I still do appreciate it. I, I love the motion picture at a, at a certain level. Um, you know, despite not being able to watch it now, I, I absolutely love that movie. I still remember, you know, when I was like uh, in grade school at one point, I was talking with some friends about about you know, the Star Trek movies, and and and, and somebody was and somebody was like, oh yeah, 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 Star Trek the motion picture is really cool. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of slow and it's kind of boring. And then I was like, just like walking down the hallway, and I stopped. And you know when John McClane turns around and pushes the button on the microphone and says, cigarettes? Yeah. I had that moment where I was like, stopped in the hallway, turned around, looked at no one, and said, it's all about atheism. The entire movie is a statement about how God is a fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, I think that, you know, again... But, you know, we're talking about what uh, he, he did with the original series here, too. You know, I mean, that's the reason why he was able to get away with it is because you wrap that message up, whatever the message may be, into, you know, a package where, like with you, it may not register for years. And also, you don't necessarily need to have that message banged into your head in order to appreciate it. You can watch that movie, never, ever realize that that's what the message of the movie is. Consciously. Consciously. Unconsciously, it has, it, it some, somehow it registers. Maybe, yeah. And, and yet you can still appreciate it. Mm -hmm. so, so let's talk about, you know, the next generation because, well, I mean, we've already talked about it a bit, but it being a different beast than the original series probably because of where Gene Roddenberry was at that point in his life. And also, you know, what we were talking about with the motion picture, where now he does sort of have carte blanche. You know, I mean, they, the reason why they brought him on to Next Generation, I think, or, or the reason why they let him do Next Generation was because they realized how well-respected he was by the fans. And the fact that, you know, if Gene Roddenberry is saying, this is my Star Trek, as opposed to, you know, a random person, say J.J. Abrams saying, this is my Star Trek, um, the fans will respect it more. 
you know, they will give it more of a chance. They will trust that this is true to what they had seen before instead of just the studio cashing in on on the concept, you know, that, that they, they had, you know, loved for years and years. And I wonder how much of the changes were related to um, him being older and how much of them were related to him having more control. Regardless, there were definitely changes. And it basically set the tone I mean, he was so, so strict with, with the way that he saw this universe that it basically set the tone for Star Trek from here on out. You know, I wonder if, like, let's say Roddenberry died in the mid-70s and everyone still tried to stay true to his vision, what would Star Trek look like without Roddenberry? This is the thing that I've, I've tried to parse in the past. And I've tried to imagine, like, a, a world where phase two happened uh-huh and i've had i've had that moment where you know you're like you're like i can i can imagine it being fantastic but i can't really imagine it mm-hmm. it's so different like i mean like not only would you know we not have the motion picture but we wouldn't have star trek two three four five six yeah it would have been an entire it's an entirely different world like i mean like if they had had the success that next generation had well, you know what they probably would have done first off i don't think well they might have had the success that next generation had that's true but i mean like what i i can't even imagine what 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 that would look like i mean 7 years later i mean like what would that show be i mean like it it's either like so good that like you know your brain melts or that it that it's you know anything else and if it's anything else it's it's terrifying in the end we probably would have ended up in the same place with a reboot you know probably by someone like jj abrams and i think the only real difference is that star trek's two through six would be gone you know, yeah. I could see Next Generation still starting up in like 1986 or whatever. I could see Deep Space Nine continuing that because, like, a lot of those things, basically, because Roddenberry wasn't involved in the other movies, sort of ignored the other movies. You know, I mean, you could pretty much think of that as the same reality. Only instead of there being Star Trek's two through six, instead of there being original series movies, you've got Phase Two. Yeah, it's the thing. It's too crazy. It's too crazy to imagine. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like, I, I, I can't visualize what that would be because I mean, like, like, w- if, if it was even remotely as good as Next Generation was, even, even in the the terrible first season, I mean, even then, I mean, it would still have been a ridiculously revolutionary show for the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the landscape of TV and movies would probably fundamentally change. I can't imagine what that would be. It's too weirdly different. Yeah, maybe it's something that we'll never know. But as it stands, you know, the... the Unless uh, it was a transporter accident, we get to go to that universe. Yeah, but as it stands, you know, we have a, a universe where, you know, Next Generation essentially set the uh, the tone for the Star Trek to come in the post-Roddenberry world uh, up until, you know the J.J. Abrams reboot, at least. And the, the problem that, you know, everyone has held, had to deal with, you know, since then is having to work inside of the Roddenberry box. Yes. For those who don't know what that is, it's basically um, Gene Roddenberry's set of rules for this universe. 
which are in direct conflict with um, dramatic storytelling. <laughs> well, I mean, like, box is a really misleading term. Technically, I think it's an Iron Maiden. Well, Gene Roddenberry had a certain vision for the future, this sort of utopian vision of the f- future, where, yes, there's no conflict between humans. I mean, and, you know, he took that to a ridiculous degree. Not that there's just no war on Earth, but, like, literally people don't, like, argue with each other, you know, yeah, in, I, in essence. That I mean, like, it's a... It, the reason it's in, it's an insanely you know like strict rule is because you can clearly see that the original series has you know the same message, right. but it's reasonable. Yeah, it's it's you know like obviously yes, um, if we've got spaceships and and a civilization that spreads to multiple planets, obviously we figured out how to not blow ourselves up. So presumably that means that we've put aside wars, at least with ourselves. And, you know, this is the thing where I think, like, people tend to, well, by people I mean me and you, I guess, tend to, like, criticize Roddenberry probably more than we should. Anytime that anyone, like, brings up Gene Roddenberry as this great, you know, visionary, you know, television producer or something like that, I always just kind of, like, roll my eyes and go, ugh. You know, God, and that's not fair because I mean we've just talked about everything that he did in Star Trek, and it's freaking amazing, okay? Yeah. And the fact that he, you know, later in life came up with these incredibly stupid ideas, you know, it, it, we shouldn't really hold that against him in a sense. Hey, I mean, like here's the thing though. Here's the thing though. Um, like that sentence that you just said, <laughs> you know, you know, he's a guy who did these amazing things, and years later he had a bunch of really stupid ideas about those things. Uh-huh. I mean, that also applies to Lucas. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. And, but, but and, here, and uh, we can hold it against him that well, like he went nuts. But no, no, <laughs> I, I think he just kind of lost his touch for you know, Gene Roddenberry. You know, lays out his his vision of the future. It is very, very optimistic, but not at all realistic. I would love to live in Gene Roddenberry's, you know, vision of the future. And if Gene Roddenberry were a po- politician, if he were running for president, I would vote for him, you know. But he- here's the problem with it, right? As great as it is as like a um, a world view, it's terrible as a TV script. And what, but we're specifically talking here about the next generation rules. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, this well, is why this is why you have to that, assume that, some that, sort of tr- like psychotic thing. That happened. is the thing, though. Okay, that, that's something which no one ever brings up. Is they really are the next generation rules? You know, people see it as the Star Trek rules. It's not the Star Trek rules. It's the next generation rules. I, I he, mean, like he uh, retroactively said that Han never shot because he's human. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, but like that's the insane thing about the whole endeavor because, like, I am legitimately, I do believe that something really wrong happened. Something really got screwed up along that time. I think he just lost his touch for, I mean, he, he became an idealist. He was, he became more he be- interested in, in, you know, he became his concepts for, for the world than he did in his concepts for a, a good TV show, which you can't really fault him for. I mean, it is kind of a loftier goal when you he think about it. He became a fascist social worker. He became the guy who says, everyone be nice or you're fired. But in the name of a better reality. In the name of a, of <laughs> which a I know better that sounds reality. Rather f- yeah. Look, like what he I understand like you're trying to say that he was he was trying to create something positive here, but he did it. 
already. Yeah. He did it in a way that worked way better. He overcompensated. If if there's if there's like some sort of afterlife, you know, and Gene Roddenberry, you know, like is able to to watch Star Trek, you know, having been separated from the you know his physical burdens, you know, he might have like you know achieved more uh, a comprehensive awareness of the universe, and he might actually be able to recognize that that conflict amongst people is actually a necessary aspect of, of evolution, mm-hmm. of an evolution of any sort of way of being, because a static culture is one that will die when change occurs. I think that he knew that the, that the, the vision of the future which he was portraying was not at all realistic. I think that what he was trying to do was get the point across that this is something that we as a people should strive for except but there's there's a fundamental problem with that line of thinking i mean like ultimately it's the problem with overcompensation in general like the the fact is that the conflict amongst people on the original series is actually an exceptionally instructive tool yeah it says this is why people don't go to war anymore well, because they can talk about problems and come to conclusions well yeah i mean what you're saying is is absolutely true and i mean that's that's proven by looking at, you know, 80s and 90s Trek. Well, it's about time to wrap this up. Um, do you have any final thoughts on Gene Roddenberry and his uh, contribution to Star Trek? Um, I, think, I think that a lot of things that, that Roddenberry did are great. Um, the, the box is, uh, like, you know, it's a huge problem for a lot of aspects of Star Trek but uh, in you know in all honesty the uh, the the blame for the overextension of the Roddenberry box I think has to be you know given to Rick Berman. Uh, well I think that definitely has something to do with it. Yeah. I mean I think that you know my 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 sort of knee jerk reaction to Gene Roddenberry is very similar to most people's knee jerk reaction to George Lucas which is um you know he's ruining this thing that we love. But the thing that, you know, I, I oftentimes forget about until I, I go back and look at something like this is, you know, that he also created that thing that we love. And, you know, up until the very end of his career, he was responsible for, you know, this thing being awesome. And to say that he's, you know, a terrible writer or te- terrible television producer based on, you know, one really 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 stupid thing that he did it's is kind of unfair it is because it's it's just an extension of you know when you when you surround yourself with yes men you lose sight of reality yeah and and it's it is essentially the exact same paradigm as lucas he he, he had too much success all right so that's gene roddenberry on star trek next time we will be back with a look at gene roddenberry's first television show the lieutenant